Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast aims to explore, debate, and understand a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students. We look at issues in South Africa, Africa, and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject, and we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Mahita Ikani, and I'm your host. My name is Donovan Dutoy, and I'm doing honours in financial management. I'm not an expert on African philosophy or post-colonialism, but what I do understand is that at the moment in South Africa, everything is very colonialist based in terms of how we are raised. Everything is very I or me orientated in terms of what do I get, what is the best for me. But African philosophy is very community orientated in terms of what do we get, what is the best for everyone. And the relevance to me is we live in Africa, not the West. So it's like trying to use a system on people who don't agree with it based on their culture, their community, and their way of life. In today's episode, we explore the discipline of African philosophy. Our guest is Dr. Orichek Bubemi Oyowe, who is a lecturer in the Department of Philosophy at the University of the Western Cape. He taught philosophy previously at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, where he also got his PhD. His primary research interest is at the point of intersection between metaphysics and value theory, specifically in the social and political implications of personhood. Some of his publications explore the potential of distinctively sub-Saharan African ideas of personhood in grounding modern liberal values of autonomy and rights. He currently teaches introductory philosophy, African philosophy, philosophy of mind, and political philosophy. Okay, so a very warm welcome to Dr. Orichek Bubemi Oyowe, who is a lecturer in the Department of Philosophy at the University of the Western Cape. Thank you so much for joining us, Orichek Bubemi. Thank you, it's a pleasure. So you have written a little bit recently about the importance of African philosophy in the work that you do, the research and the teaching that you do. So perhaps we could start by just giving us a kind of Philosophy 101, if you like, introduction to the ideas of African philosophy. For those of us who haven't yet come across this particular characterization or this particular sub-genre of philosophical thought, how would you explain it to us? Well, uh, I suppose a good place to start is, is to refer to the, the article that I recently wrote, because there I had a, a description of African philosophy that uh, is continuous with how philosophy is understood quite generally as an academic discipline. In that article, I alluded to the fact that uh, philosophy is essentially the pursuit of wisdom, uh, a love affair with wisdom. And, and that definition is traced to the ancient Greek philosophers who saw themselves as people who, were, who had this unquenchable thirst for knowledge. And so they defined their activity as one that involved constantly seeking to know and understand themselves and the world around them. 
African philosophy is uh, essentially a field of inquiry that falls within this general understanding of philosophy as a quest for knowledge, the love of wisdom. But uh, I suppose people wonder why the qualifier African isn't philosophy something universal, isn't philosophy something general, uh, something that applies to everyone. It's not limited to context, to, to a particular region of the world. That's true. And, and the term philosophy in African philosophy is supposed to demonstrate that kind of conceptual continuity between uh, what we call African philosophy and uh, philosophy as an academic discipline, that pursuit of wisdom, of knowledge. But uh, the term African comes in there partly because of certain, uh, what I'd like to call historical uh, moments uh, that prompted the need to qualify uh, philosophy in that way, to say African philosophy. One of them had to do with the way Africa was represented in uh, European imagination. And this was aided by classical anthropology. So African subjects and African cultures were represented as uh, uh, ones that lacked rationality. African intellectuals at the time thought that the appropriate response to this kind of uh, intellectual disparagement was to give a philosophical response to it. And I think African philosophy rose in some way as a protest to a certain way of imagining and representing uh, African peoples. That, that's one way to think about African, uh, the African in African philosophy as a, a kind of unified response to what was a philosophical way of undermining Africa. But it's not all that negative. In African philosophy, there is also a more positive thesis that has been advanced. It's also a challenge to mainstream philosophy to begin to rethink how it conceives of philosophical activity. Yes, it is true that philosophy is a universal activity employing the tools of reason, of rationality. But also African philosophers want to reflect on the ways in which philosophy relates to context and more specifically, our philosophy relates to the African context, the African world, African cultures, its peoples and its subjects. So it's this relationship between philosophy and culture that gives us a sense of the boundaries of African philosophy. So there are claims and counterclaims with respect to how best we should construe this relationship between philosophy and culture. Just, just to shed some light, a bit more light on that. So within African philosophy, there are several ways of uh, understanding this relationship between philosophy as a universal activity and the particular context in which it is uh, uh, this activity is, is carried out. Uh, so on the one hand, there are those who uh, identify wholesale philosophy and culture. Within African philosophical uh, circles, these, are, these people are uh, often called ethno-philosophers. And it's, it's simply a, a term that conveys the idea that philosophy is identical to culture. If you want to determine the philosophy of a people, you just examine their cultural worldviews, their beliefs and all of that. So that's one way to think about the relationship. And if, if that's the way you think about the relationship, well, then uh, you're going to have a, a unique kind of philosophy. The idea here is that African philosophy is a unique phenomenon. And it's different, essentially, to what you find in the West and elsewhere. But there's another way of thinking about that uh, relationship, one that doesn't identify philosophy with culture, 
but thinks of philosophy as a universal tools of critical thinking and analysis that can be applied to African context, African culture. So African cultural data becomes material for reflection rather than containing the philosophy itself. So I think that's that's a rough idea. So philosophy, as I, I, certainly the, the view that I'm sympathetic to, is the one that uh, says philosophy is a universal activity. It doesn't inherit in cultures, but culture can provide the kind of material that philosophers can reflect on. And, and the, the sense of African in African philosophy is simply to uh, redirect our attention to the context in which philosophical activity is undertaken. Okay, so there seems to be, from what I understand, a kind of strategic essentialism in prioritizing the idea of Africanness in the particular kind of philosophy that you do. Is there not a danger of possibly homogenizing Africanness? Because, I mean, we look at our continent, we have hundreds of languages, hundreds of diverse cultures, dozens of religions, perhaps more. All of these different cultural aspects are going to affect systems of thought and systems of rationality and philosophy. So how would you respond to that kind of potential critique? Uh, well, I have to recognize uh, that there's a huge diversity of cultures in Africa, and, and, and sometimes the, the designation African is very misleading. Uh, what I think people uh, within African philosophical circles mean when they say African as a qualifier of uh, philosophy, it's simply that there are certain shared features, even though there's this uh, diversity, shared elements across uh, the continent and uh, cultural uh, features that we can abstract and describe as African, not so much to undermine the diversity, but to walk along this common elements define the cultures in Africa. So for instance, most African philosophers think that the idea that the community takes some kind of precedence in terms of how most African cultures engage with the world is a common element you find across the continent. And, and so they try to, for instance, think about normative principles around that idea of the community preceding the individual. But yeah, you're right. Uh, care needs to be taken when making these assertions. Uh, because Africa is a continent that is uh, populated by all kinds of uh, beliefs. So part of the concern, uh, again, uh, referring to the, the article that I that I did recently, part of my concern is exactly what you, you mentioned, the idea that we end up homogenizing uh, African philosophy. One way we may do this is by insisting that only certain kinds of people qualify to do African philosophy. Uh, people who, for instance, trace their ethnic uh, identity to Africa. And, and then we, we assume that uh, being African is some kind of a, a metaphysical way of being, you know. So someone is African in, in, in such a way that his, his identity is so unique that it, it differs from uh, people you find in other places. It seems to me that we are human first before we are Africans. But uh, a belief that only Africans can do African philosophy seems to reverse that relationship. It seems that we are Africans first before we are human, uh, making our African identity the most fundamental. In that way, you, you run the risk of trying to make African philosophy a club for certain kinds of people who hold certain kinds of views, who believe certain kinds of things, and who do not disagree with each other. This is one of the danger, and this is why I believe that uh, if identity becomes a precondition for doing African philosophy, it's very unlikely that there'll be progress in African philosophy uh, because from, from, from a shared identity, the likelihood is that we would expect everyone to 
agree on, on, on notions and meanings and concepts. And this is antithetical to the philosophical project, I think. So identifying as an African is not a precondition for doing or working on or trying to write African philosophy. This is, yes, this is what I think. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who do not share this uh, way of looking at African philosophy. Because the seed for this sort of thinking that African philosophy is something that is done by Africans was already uh, deeply entrenched in, in the early days of the development of African philosophy as an academic discipline. Two obvious examples would be Negritude, for instance. Uh, Leopold Seda Senor, for instance, defines the African as someone who is uh, essentially different to the European. His famous saying is uh, that the, the Negro is defined by emotion and the European is defined by reason. Once you make an essential difference like that, the kind of philosophy that you then prescribe for the African is one that proceeds by this kind of emotional engagement with the world. Of course, negritude has been criticized by most people, but I think the idea that African philosophy is something that is done by uh, Africans in the sense that being African means it's hard to define what, what is often being described, but it seems like this a special thing about being African that someone who is not African is not able to express in his way of being. That's one example with negritude. But I think the, the one that really defines it clearly for me is uh, by Pauline Otunji in his, in his book, African Philosophy, Myth and Reality, where he, although was critical of this idea that African philosophy is a unique way of doing philosophy, he ended up defining African philosophy as philosophy done by Africans, uh, practiced by Africans. Uh, I believe that Otunji didn't intend to make a identity a precondition for doing African philosophy, given what he goes on to say about the importance of developing a, a discourse on African philosophy. But that way of thinking, I think, has persisted over time. And now you still hear people talk about the, the fact that one has to be African. And, and I don't mean African in the sense of being of possessing a citizenship in, in some African country. One might be that, but not possess the essential qualification. What people who hold this view claim is that one has to belong to some cultural group in Africa. Uh, one has to speak some African language. One has to somehow experience what it means to be African, a lived experience. It's a way of thinking, I think, doesn't respect the distinction between developing a tradition of philosophizing and identifying the identity of its practitioners. These are two different issues. And, and to conflate them in that way is to misunderstand the, the nature of an academic discipline. And, and what is also ironical is that people who uh, put forward this idea that African philosophy is something that should be done by Africans, they write in English, they teach Western philosophy. And so if, if African philosophy is, has this special character that it can only be done by people who of a certain identity, it makes it uh, uh, something that requires some kind of special initiation. Uh, and also cast doubt on the competence of people of African identity origin or of African identity, but teach uh, European philosophy, for instance, Asian philosophy. So it, it's this confusion between developing a body of knowledge that we can call African philosophy, a tradition of intellectual exchange among philosophers about Africa and the issue of identifying who the practitioners are. Just to say a little bit more about that, when I say this, I do not want to downplay the fact that there are very few Black African philosophers, certainly in South Africa, and, and most of our departments are dominated by white philosophers. So I think in saying that we don't want to restrict 
in terms of identity, those who do African philosophy, we must also recognize that there is a need also to change the, the, the configuration of our departments to, to be more representative of the context of Africa. But this is, this is another matter. This is not to say identity is a precondition for uh, doing African philosophy. So from your position, you would argue that there are certain kind of innate ideas and theories and arguments that define African philosophy and that we should be careful about not getting caught up in a kind of identity politics as a precondition to participating in that field of knowledge construction. Right. Okay. So I, I agree with the second part that we should keep the politics of identity and the uh, substantive issues in philosophy that we deal with separate. But I, I don't think that there are innate uh, African ideas. I think that there are ideas that are relevant to Africa. And I, I think there's an important difference there. Because once again, the talk about innate African ideas uh, leads to a talk about uniqueness and essentialism that I want to steer clear of. So uh, I think there are ideas that are relevant to the African context and that philosophers working in Africa, African philosophers uh, one wants to identify oneself, must focus on philosophizing in a way that can contribute to addressing some of those issues that are pertinent to Africa. Some African philosophers are doing that, and they're doing it quite well without adopting this uh, essentialist idea of uh, African philosophy. Uh, so uh, one of the prominent African philosophers, for instance, Kwasi Wiredu, came up with the idea of consensual democracy precisely because he wanted to find some kind of response to what he thought was a problem generated by majoritarian and adversarial uh, politics in, in Africa. And so he says democracy by consensus, which is something that is rooted in traditional African politics, is a useful solution. And, and he admitted in, in his uh, reconstruction of that practice that it's not a uniquely African practice. It could be found elsewhere. The important thing is that this way of thinking about political governance is a useful way of uh, responding to specific challenges, uh, or rather challenges specific to the African context. So there are no unique African ideas. These ideas can be made relevant to the African context. And, and uh, I, I, this is the way I think of the qualifier African in African philosophy. And considering the colonial histories in which most universities are rooted, it would seem politically very important that intellectual work is done in order to recover or recapture certain ideas or values or structures of political thinking that have been buried or marginalized or hidden away by the kind of the, the structures of power that define knowledge and what knowledge is considered preferable and not. Precisely, precisely. And, and, and as I said before, partly because of that, African intellectuals saw the need to provide this kind of response. Because for a long time, historically, we know that uh, African cultures were thought of as incapable of offering any kind of response to the kind of challenges that Africans faced. So, so there's, there's that responsibility on the part of the African philosopher or the philosopher in Africa to, as much as possible, try to excavate those uh, practices and norms in, in, that define traditional African culture and see how best they can be reappropriated for modern circumstances. But the problem is, uh, is, is a difficult one uh, because the nature of the societies are very unlike what we have today. And so the issue of whether we can actually reappropriate these uh, norms, even if we find them attractive, is one that African philosophers have to deal with. But also to point out that, because I have made the point now that there are no African ideas right? There are ideas that are relevant to Africa. Uh, many African philosophers have not been scared of looking elsewhere to find certain norms, certain practices that have been applied 
elsewhere and have been effective and, and try to reappropriate those as well for responding to specific challenges that we have in Africa. This was something we noticed in the works of uh, the post-independent politicians who took upon themselves the role of the philosopher. I'm thinking about people like Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyerere, who are not afraid to take from African traditional culture, but also borrow elements from Western culture as well in defining uh, strategies that they thought was going to take Africa forward. So it's 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 about responding to Africa's problem. And, and I don't want to restrict myself to just traditional culture as, as sources for these solutions. Mm. Can we return for a moment to a comment that you made a little earlier about the makeup of philosophy departments, particularly at South African universities? Right. They seem to be a bit of a stronghold of the um, establishment, if you like. And I wonder if you have any comments on how the kind of content that you're clearly teaching and prioritizing in your own research, how that relates to the way philosophy as quite an established and kind of in some ways it seems from the outside at least, you know, I'm in a new discipline, I'm in media studies. From the outside, philosophy often seems as a kind of unchangeable, immovable kind of monolith of a discipline. And that makes me wonder about its possibilities for transformation, both at the very kind of political level, like you said, in making sure there's better representation of diversity in teaching staff, but also at the level of the kind of content that is taught. Do you have any thoughts about how African philosophy in the ways that you've been describing can help to, to reshape philosophy departments and even the discipline and the structure of the discipline? As I said before, I think uh, one way African philosophy can do this is to call attention to the way we think about philosophy as a universal activity. The danger uh, for most people in mainstream philosophy is to think of philosophy as something that is entirely divorced from the, the real world in which people live in. I understand that philosophy is, is, is a study of ideas, of, of concepts. It's abstract in that way. Over the history of uh, philosophy, even in the West, we find that philosophy has proved itself to be capable of affecting the social and political life of people. So the fact that African philosophy is essentially one way of thinking of African philosophy is the, the relationship philosophy has to context, to culture. It helps to broaden and maybe challenge that universalist uh, notion of philosophy, especially the, the idea that it's entirely divorced from context and that philosophers have no responsibility whatsoever to the specific context in which they undertake their teaching and research. So it's at that very conceptual level, I think African philosophy can begin to address the problem. Uh, and, 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 and also to note that this is a problem that is unique to South Africa on the continent. Because in many other countries in, in, in Africa, you find that philosophy has been taught in ways that, you know, at least uh, even if it doesn't provide the solutions, but seeks to respond to practical and, and real world issues for people, whether political or social ones. So, so in South Africa, you find that the departments are, it's not, it's not a matter of them being populated merely by white philosophers, but also that uh, there is a, a tendency not to be interested in any kind of philosophy that, that responds to context. As far as the transformation is concerned, I don't think it lies within African philosophy. I don't think it lies within academic philosophy at all. I think that the, the solutions must be found elsewhere. And, and this is part of the whole project of transformation as I see it and what's lacking in it. 
There's so much conversations about transformation in, in the higher education curriculum in South Africa. But what, what is always lacking, in my opinion, is that there are no practical steps taken to ensure that teachers, uh, academics, lecturers at the universities in South Africa begin to take seriously this call for transformation. So for instance, I'm thinking about making something like research grants and other kinds of uh, benefits of, of being an academic researcher, dependent on the extent to which one, for instance, makes one's teaching reflective of the African context or the extent to which one has gone in trying to mentor young black philosophers, for instance. If, if we try to respond at this level that we can compel people who are not otherwise uh, disposed to transformation to begin to move. And I think that's the case with philosophy as well. Once it is left to the academic involved, the philosopher involved, there's very little that can be done. And African philosophy can only challenge this way of understanding philosophy as a universal activity divorced from reality. But that's very little, I'm afraid. So you'd like to see departments that are more representative. You'd like to see young black philosophers being given the resources that they need in order to excel in their research get ahead as quickly as they can in their academic careers. And it sounds like you'd also really like to see teaching that is more linked to the particular context in which we live. Yes, yes. And, and to the last point, of course, I just want to be clear that I'm not, I'm not advocating the kind of philosophy that is all about uh, African thinkers. We want our students to, as much as possible, learn about thinkers in the West and also, where possible, thinkers within the tradition of Asian philosophy, for instance, to get a, a much broader understanding of what philosophy really means rather than the more restrictive one that we currently have across our departments. But at the same time, to put African philosophy somewhere at the center of the kind of philosophy we research and teach. And once we do that, we'll find that Teaching African philosophy as a module in, in, in our departments will become unnecessary because we will then integrate in our other courses or other philosophy courses like courses on epistemology and logic. We will integrate concerns that are relevant to the context. And so the, the need to teach African philosophy as a separate course will no longer be necessary. I say that because what obtains at the moment is that in many departments you find that in the name of transformation, usually a black African is employed to teach African philosophy. And then you get the sense that either the white philosophers in the department do not want to teach African philosophy, or they think maybe they are not capable of teaching African philosophy. Whatever the reason is, it makes philosophy this special kind of subject that only certain kinds of people are able to teach or research on. I don't think that that's what transformation is about. As someone else has pointed out, that might be exhibiting some form of a liberal tolerance for this strange thing called African philosophy. So what I want to see is philosophers in South Africa teaching philosophy that reflects in very important ways African thinkers. And African thinkers reflect a lot on African culture. This is not the only kind of philosophy they should teach, but their teaching should in some way reflect Africa, and not just uh, having a, a subject in African philosophy that students do, say, in their second year, and, uh, and then for the rest of the three years they study philosophy so at undergrad le level, they don't hear about African philosophy again. And if we reflect on what we've seen in the past two years in terms of student activism and arguments about uh, change and transformation that are coming from the next generation, 
it seems to me that there's almost been a kind of a natural upsurge of what some might call key ideas from important African philosophers. I'm thinking of the ways in which students are quoting Fanon and Biko. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on how some of the ideas that you work with in your teaching and your research might be linked to what we're seeing in terms of student activism and student demands and requests for change and transformation. Well, it, it's interesting you alluded to the fact that uh, Fanon and Biko are uh, usually referred to by student activists. And, and this is a good thing. It's a good thing because for a long time, students were not exposed to these ideas. So uh, the fact that students talk about these thinkers and that the ideas are becoming more and more popular is something we should celebrate. On the other hand, it seems to me that the content of the ideas that were put forward by these thinkers uh, sometimes is not reflective in the in the way the the protests and the, and the struggle and the demands of the students are expressed in reality. I should say at this point, and I'm strongly in support of many of the demands that students are making. I'm not, I'm not questioning them at all. But I think that someone like Biko, for instance, would be very systematic in terms of how, and we see this when he was when he was alive, how he went about making the claims that he made and, and protesting against those he felt were standing in the way of the kind of progress that he envisioned. I think students can learn from that. It's, it's not just the ideas themselves that should excite us, but the ways in which we present the demands that we make. Because sometimes, and, and this is what I noticed during the protest last year, it started off as a, a legitimate demand in which uh, I think most people around the, the country somehow threw their, their weight behind the students in, in, in whatever way they could. But once it degenerated to uh, the sort of protest that became really violent, people started questioning the substance of the protests. This is where I think students can learn from these thinkers. Biko, for instance, was a adamant that is, is, is talk about black consciousness wasn't to recreate a, a world in which some people, because of the color of their skin, were excluded. So it's, as I say, it's a good thing that students are reflecting on these ideas. But these thinkers also were, as far as I know, very careful in, in the strategies in which they employed in realizing these ideas. If one is critical of the protest movements, one may end up being read as or being, being, being thought of as being critical of the ideas that uh, students stand for. But what I'm suggesting here is that uh, we need to rethink the strategies we employ in trying to realize some of these aims. Yeah. I hope that that's clear enough. Yeah, yeah, that's clear. And I think it's a very sensible response, the kind of response I would expect from a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> Oriche Gubemi, it's been such a wonderful conversation. I feel like I've learned a huge amount and I feel very inspired by some of the ideas you've put forward about transformation, both of the curriculum and in the ways of teaching. I wonder if there was anything else that you wanted to touch on or, or comment on. Just to highlight very, very quickly, and, and this is something I think was at the heart of the article that I recently published about why the uh, identity shouldn't be the basis for exclusion as far as developing a, uh, a tradition of philosophizing in Africa is concerned. Three very specific issues. That African philosophy is an academic discipline first and foremost, and this means that uh, entry into this field of inquiry should be dependent on certain scholarly criteria 
unless one assumes that we are all biologically unlike each other and that biology determines competence, then it is hard to see why we should dwell on the identity of the practitioners of African philosophy. African philosophers uh, teach and research in Western philosophy, as I said before, on Eastern philosophy even. It seems to me that their African identity should not count against them. So to the non-African identity of others who reflect an African philosophy, so too that shouldn't count against them. But secondly, I also want to say that there is a sensible distinction that can be made between developing a discourse, an African philosophical discourse, and picking out the identity of its practitioners. It follows straight away once you understand that academic philosophy is, a, is an academic discipline taught at the university. I don't know if I mentioned before, uh, just, just quickly, I think maybe we're running out of time, but Willem Amor was a philosopher in Germany, an African-born philosopher in Germany who worked in the, in the 18th and 19th century. And he contributed to the Western philosophical tradition. His considerable intellectual uh, achievements uh, is part of that, that tradition, uh, even though he was African-born. So uh, I think that it's not negative if we have people who are not African-born contributing to the philosophical tradition of African philosophy. And then lastly, we should not lose sight of the fact that African philosophy arose partly because it's a way of protesting the fact that the project of knowledge production uh, somehow wasn't uh, representative. Africa was missing in action, okay? And so if we begin to restrict people on the basis of identity, it seems to me that we, we are likely going to reproduce the same kind of exclusion that African philosophy was supposed to contest. The, the more diversity there is in, in our search for knowledge and understanding, the more likely we are going to arrive or approximate truth. In an era in which we are seeing calls for transformation and student activism on issues of access, it seems increasingly important that we consider the ideas that drive both. It's been great to learn more about the importance and relevance of philosophy to South African and African universities. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might also be interested in episode 15, where we explore the role of indigenous languages in higher education. My name is Titus Masika and I'm currently studying physics. African philosophy has always been there. It's always been prevalent, you know. I mean, you always get guidance, you know, on life situations via your parents or your grandparents or the elders. You know, your elders in the family, they always try to give you some sort of wisdom, right? And that comes from some sort of philosophical thinking, right? So African philosophy is, is very important, especially for Africans to self-identify, right? And to self-actualize. Instead of always trying to revert back to the Eurocentric way of thinking about things, um, Africans have always had their own way of thinking and their own way of doing things. And that is going to be of utmost importance if us as Africans, not even South Africans, as Africans, are going to step into our own shoes and, and, and make our mark on the world and leave a footprint and leave a big footprint. <laughs> because I honestly feel like we need to realize that our elders were wise and will answer something. And not that just because we're colonialized, that's the Eurocentric view of certain things is the right way or the only way. But there's also a different way, which may even be more correct than that. So I, t I, I struggle with finding stuff about African people online, and it's actually the most annoying. If I had to go to America and I had to Google, let's say, the history of a certain place, right? I'll find it easily enough. Now, if I had to go to, to where my dad is from, Kuma, and I have to try find information about that, it would be very hard. I would actually have to go 
to Kuma, go door by door and ask what actually happened in this place 50 years ago or whatever. So I think we need to believe in ourselves that it is important and that it needs to be catalogued and it needs to be easily accessible. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. ASAWU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at Wits. For more information, visit www.asawu.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments, and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Today's show was presented by Mehita Ikani. Research scheduling, editing, and production was done by Balungi Lembenyane. Thanks to Orechek Bubemi, Oyowe, Donovan, and Titus for their time. Jürgen Mikkel created our jingles.